It's only those who are born again, only those who have repented of their sin, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by God-given faith, by the election of God. These people are those who enter the kingdom. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. After enjoying this discussion of God's Word, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now for today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your Word. It is the truth. It's the only place we can go and never be deceived, never be confused, except in the, own, the weaknesses that we have in ourselves. But it's not coming to us as a deception or a confusion. It's coming to us as truth. It is what it is, and it's perfect in everything. So I ask, Lord, as we look into your word, as we consider these things, that you would lead me by your Holy Spirit to understand as I have studied and to know, Lord, what is your word saying and not to make it say anything other than what is meant to say. And bless the hearers with these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're going to look, as I've been considering in my own mind, my own heart, these things about end times. I I haven't really been, I I know what I believe in certain areas, but some I've backed off because I haven't done the study needed to come to a place where I am certain within my own heart of what is the truth. So today as we look at Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24 and maybe some other portions. But as we look through these things, I want us to understand that uh, of the day and the hour, no man knows when Jesus is going to come back. At the same time, there's these truths that come to us from Jesus where he, he admonishes us to be ready, to be prepared, to not just throw things off like it's not going to happen a thousand years from now, which under those, criti- under those types of remarks, Jesus comes down as hard as saying, you know the time and the hour. So there's a balance in these realities, in, this, in the truth that's taught from the Word, and that's what we seek for today. Not to nail down a day or an hour, but to look at the signs of the coming times to understand maybe where we are and what Jesus definitely says about prophecy. So beginning in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus in verse 1 left the temple area and was going on his way when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. Now it doesn't say the 12, it says the disciples. And in verse 2 says, but he responded and said to them, do you not see these things? Now he could be referring to the temple because that's what they were saying. But he then goes on and says, Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Now, it kind of makes sense, but doesn't. If you, you, uh, someone comes to you and they say, Look at how beautiful this building is. And you say to them, Don't you see this building? Don't you get it that it's coming down? Why would I get it? It's a beautifully built, I mean, and I've been there, 
I've seen the, well, the stones that Herod put in place to build up that mountain to make that humongous temple stand. Why would you ever think that they're coming down? So did he mean, do you not see all these things, meaning the temple, or did you not see all these things that have taken place throughout the, the last three years? That I've cast people out because of the abuses in the temple, that they're thieving and they're stealing from people, and that it's turned into a false religion, and that I've told you that, look, these men are sitting in the seat of Moses, and look, what they say do, as in Moses, but don't do what they do because they're hypocrites. And eight woes on the hypocrites. I mean, are you not listening to me? Do you not see what's happening? And that's kind of the introduction to this podcast on prophecy because that thought has carried out for 2,000 years. Do we see what's going on? Do we see what's going on today? Do we see what was going on in 1947 when Israel became a nation state again? Have we seen... What's gone on for 2,000 years where Israel was destroyed because of its hypocrisy in a, in a God-made religion, uh, only to be cast off and given over to the Gentiles for a period of time. What is that period of time? Well, no one has known for the last 2,000 years. And we don't know today. But I want to look at Jesus' statement when he says, do you not see all these things? I want us to see the things to give us some bearing on where we've been and where we're going. So then it goes on in verse 3 and says, And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? So they're giving him a question. They want to know these kind of details that I'm talking about right now, and men have been talking about. But they're coming privately. So in Luke 21... In this same context of this whole idea, it actually says, while in verse 5, some were talking about the temple, that it was decorated with beautiful stones, he said. So in verse 5, while some were talking about the temple, that's not everybody, and it's not the 12. Verse 6, as for these things which you are observing, the days will come when there will be not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. Same setting, same idea, but there was some versus the 12, versus the disciples in general. They asked him questions, saying, it goes on in verse 7, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen? What will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see to it that you are not misled, For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. The time is near. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and revolts, do not be alarmed, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. This is a very important point here. You know, there's two basic ideas behind prophetic teaching. And one is uh, amillennial, it's called, that Jesus is coming back at the end of the millennium. There is no millennium. It's no definite set of time. And then there's set times by those who are pre-trib, mid-trib, 
You know, there, there, there's numerous ways of dis defining all of these terms and what's being said. Now here, what he's saying is that while some were talking to him about the temple, you know, he says, these things which you are observing, the days will come when there will not be left one stone on another. What day was that? Well, in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened. And it's been like that ever since. There's no, not been a fourth resurrection of the temple. There was Solomon's temple. There was an, a temple after that, after the exile. They keep getting torn down. And then Herod builds the gigantic temple that was torn down in 70 AD. So there's three different temples. Keep getting torn down. And it, here's what Jesus is talking about that would take place in 70 AD. Do not go after them, those false prophets. When you hear of wars and revolts, do not be alarmed, for these things must take place first. What things? The tearing down of the temple, but the end will not follow immediately. That does not mean that the rest of Revelation and 2 Thessalonians and Matthew 24 and Luke 21 different portions throughout the Old and the New Testament talking about the, the final days, Daniel, Revelation, that does not mean that those are not specific dates and happenings and times and seasons that are laid out very precisely in the Scripture. What it does mean is that something was going to take place in 70 AD, and then there will be persecution, and then he goes on in verse 10, then he continues saying, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be massive earthquakes in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be terrible sights and great signs from heaven. Now, at that statement of this, signs from heaven, we know that what's going on between the fall in 70 AD and the very end, which is he's referring to in verse 10 and 11, that massive earthquakes and nation rising against nation, it's all seen very clearly in the book of Revelation. The, the, the earthquakes, the wars, the signs from heaven, let's keep that straight. Those things are seen at the very, very end. So if we go back to Matthew 24, and we see, and Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you. He, both of these are parallel. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be nation will rise against nation. But, he says, all these things are merely the beginning of birth. And then in verse 9, then they will hand you over to tribulation, which happened during the time in the first century. And it all started and it revved up and Rome did its, its thing and, and many false prophets rose up because lawlessness has increased. Many people will will love, love will become cold, but the one who endures to the end is the one who will be saved. The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So this whole matter of false prophets, it just continues to grow until it finally gets to the place where he says, those who endure to the end, and this is always the case because men have been persecuted more in the 20th century than all the, the previous centuries put together. 
And so that persecution continues to grow, and but, but he ends this section by saying that men's love is going to grow cold. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Well, what, what does that mean? What's he referring to here? Well, I, I, I'm thinking that in the 1700s, 18th century, the, there was a great awakening. And actually, if you go back to the Reformation, you know you had the, the building up of the, of the church through uh, Rome, and there was these centuries that went on where kings and popes were fighting over who's going to be the, the highest in the land. And Christianity grew up into this, this big monstrosity of not a remnant, but a, a great people, just like Israel did, where you had a multitude of Israel, all Israelites. Why? Because they were the seed of Abraham. And it was a genetic thing. But only the remnant were always the ones, like in the, in the days when Elijah was running from the, the, the king at that time and the queen. And he's crying out, you know, nobody's left but me. And God says, wait, I got 7,000 people. Out of the, how many millions of people were in Israel at the time, and it was few million, but you know, of the few millions of people that were there, there were 7,000 who were Israelites. The church grew up into this great monstrosity of billion, two billion people now who would claim Christianity, and it's, it's still the remnant. It's only those who are born again. Only those who have repented of their sin come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by God-given faith, by the election of God. These people are those who enter the kingdom. And that's a whole other story about election. But it's true. It's always the remnant. And if you study out Romans 9, 10, and 11, uh, that's what he talks about, the restoration of the remnant of Israel. Here, as we look at it prophetically, we understand that lawlessness will increase. Going back to the 18th century, there was great revival, and the, this monstrosity of Christianity got, became alive with the true gospel again, because it was a false gospel. You know, it just it, it went into this whole idea of works again, which Christianity is not of works. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, by, but by God's mercy he saved us. It's an act of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift. You don't pay for a gift. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. And so that all got changed, grew up through those centuries from mid-300s all the way to 1500s. And then God raised up the reformers, men who understood the gospel again, and then Protestantism began, and, and it started all over to, to water it down and to change it, and it's been a, a battle ever since to maintain the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But during that time, after the Reformation in the 1500s, you go to the 1700s and you find it, the Great Awakening takes place, and in the West... You have England and Wales and all of those countries being affected by George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards and, uh, and all, of those, of the, all of those great preachers during those years. It lasted 40 years. And America was affected by it. Democracy came out of it. Truth and, and freedom 
to a measure, and uh, and and it reignited to what we uh, no longer see today. Because in the in the eighteen hundreds, the nineteenth century, missionaries went throughout the world, and the gospel went in, to a degree like it had not seen since the Apostle Paul and the and the apostles. But it it went out in the nineteen hundreds, and then died off in the twentieth century. There's still missionary work that goes on, but not like those selfless, self-sacrificing people that got on boats and ships, left home never to see it again, presented the gospel. Some of them died, some of them didn't, but the gospel went throughout the world again. Now in the 20th and 21st century, I think it's easy to say that lawlessness is on the increase. Men have turned away from the gospel on many countries, many continents. And not only that, um, it's now BCE, the, the, the before Christ era, and ADE, after, so that Christ is no longer considered as a person or a historical person, which is more, he is more by historians, good, with those with good reputation as and whether they're Christian or not, historians recognize the most cited historical event in human history is the death of Jesus Christ. Only people die. Event, you know, errors don't, they can die in people's minds, but people die, and Christ died, and it is the most recorded event in history. Meaning, Jesus Christ was a person. It's not a fiction, it's not a, a fake it's not fictional like Greek mythology. He's a real-life person, but that doesn't even want to be recognized anymore. Jesus Christ is becoming increasingly hated. Lawlessness is on the, is on the rise. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because up until the early 1900s, really beginning around 1917, uh, what we had was n- illegal, illegal abortion. I'm not saying it didn't take place. I'm just saying it wasn't legal. And, and unless it became recognizable, which was there was a movement in a woman, don't know whether they're pregnant or not, and they come two, sometimes three months later, wondering if they're pregnant. And so if we in the 21st century, women, are guessing as to whether they are or not, you know, certainly within six weeks, let alone two months, what would make us think that people knew what they were doing in the 19th, 18th, 17th centuries? I mean, come on. Let's be reasonable with one another. Let's just say, and this is a fact, that it was not legal when there was movement found in, felt in a, baby, in a woman. So once it was found, now it's illegal. Whether they do it or not, it was illegal. We're talking about lawlessness. So there's law. What's the law say? You're not allowed to abort your baby, let's face it. Because once it was felt, you couldn't, you couldn't abort. So that's where the case. Now, since then, since 1980, there have been, as of right now, as of 1.30 in the afternoon on Friday, January 20th, 1,882,142,000 613, 14, 15, you can't keep up with it. Babies have been aborted that we know of, 
that have been aborted since 1980, 1,600,000,000 plus. We, we wouldn't say it's lawlessness. What we would say is it's lawless compared to prior to when it began in the 20th century, which I believe, I know was in Russia, and I, I'm not sure it was somewhere between 1917 and 1930s. Somewhere in that period of time, abortion becomes legalized, making it now legal what once went as far back as you can go as being illegal. It's not lawlessness in the sense of breaking the law. It's lawless in the sense of doing away with the law. We make it legal. Because we make it legal doesn't make it moral. It just means we make it legal, which is really a higher form of lawlessness. So if we did away with all law and everybody just went did whatever they want, like prior to the flood, then you would be perfectly lawless. See where I'm coming from? So there's this sense of lawlessness and the love of people. As a result of lawlessness, what it, it becomes cold. I mean, when a person kills a, a one-year-old child, it's pretty obvious to most people, not everybody, but at one-year-old, that that's... That's loveless. That's why we have thou shalt not murder and why there's courts in the land that keep people from doing bad things to other people, including murder at the top of the list. But when murder is not defined as murder anymore and people go do it, when you can say, well, it's, it's okay and you're not lawless, not true. First of all, the law of God resides in the heart of God. And no matter what men may say, that doesn't go away. And when people die, we find that out. Because when people die, you stand before God in judgment and you go right to hell, waiting the great white throne when all people will be resurrected from the dead in their spirit and will stand before God, Revelation 20, when the earth and the heaven fade away, it just goes out of existence. It's gone. Talk about having the rug pulled out from under your feet. And there we all are in the presence of God before the white throne in spirit. Don't need a rug, don't need a floor. Uh, but we will be there standing in judgment for what the deeds we have done, whether they be good or evil. Good by the resurrected life of Christ living through people who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as the way of salvation. Now at the end of this portion that we've just gone through, the, the lawlessness and the lo loss of love, then Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 and verse 15 and says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of to Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop must go down must not go down to get things that are out of his house. And whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to those women who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Moreover, pray that when you flee, that it will not be in winter or in the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will again. And if those days were not cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or he's over there, do not believe him. 
For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will provide great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance. So if they say to you, Behold, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, Behold, he's in the inner room, do not believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be wherever the corpse is there will the vultures gather. So you, we have here the abomination of desolation which is spoken of through Daniel, and that's a key point in understanding that it's at the very end, at the very end. Because then he goes on and says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. So there's this tribulation that's taking place, which according to Daniel, if you study that, there was 490 years that were appointed to Israel. 483 of those years were used up until Jesus came in on Palm Sunday. I mean, you can, this has been figured out to the day because the rebuilding of the day in Daniel's time, we know the exact date of it. So there, there is then that date leaving seven years of tribulation which are brought to pass at the end time. That's seven years. So then when he talks about their, the tri- after the tribulation of they, those days, he's talking about that seven-year period. After that tribulation, he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, which is really meteors. But it's going to look like, you know, the, there's no more sun, there's no more moon. The stars themselves are like flying in, in space, which is exactly what... It looks like when you have meteors. And when the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet blast, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now, here we have this idea that no one knows the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, that's the Son. Only the Father, the Son, agreed to not know when he became incarnate as a man, not to know that day or hour. It's just part of his humility. But for us, we don't know that day or hour until, until... There's the abomination of desolation sitting in the holy place, which means in the temple. And furthermore, there's these signs in heaven. How do I know? So he goes on and he says, Now learn the parable of the fig tree. As soon as its branches has become tender and sprouts it leaves you and sprouts its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, he's just mentioned them. Uh, the abomination of desolation, the signs in the heavens, not the wars and rumors and wars and all of that, unless they're attached during that seven-year period where the the Antichrist rises according to Revelation. There's the number on the hand and the forehead. When these things appear, and then there's the sun and the moon darkening out, and, and it appears like the stars in heaven are falling from the sky, when all of those things take place, understand, he says, 
For the coming of the Son of Man will be just, well, he says, but about that day, after he says, earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You see, all these things recognize that he is near right at the door. I mean, he's not close. He's not like a mile away. He's at the door. He's ready to come in. But about that day and hour, no one knows. So then he adds that. In verse 36, not even the angels in heaven, not my father alone, but my father alone, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day of Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So look, when, when this takes place, the abomination of desolation, and things are showing in the, the signs are up there. He's at the door. Before that, you can't know. This other part applies. But about that day and hour, no one knows. Not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. No one knows. So I'm, I'm saying these things. And I'm ta- we're talking about the signs of the end. But we're not saying that we know the day or the hour. But I, I want to consider what's going on in our world, like abortion, lawlessness, love growing cold. Israel is in the land since 1947. Are these telling us that he's at the door? No. Is it telling us it's possible that we're drawing nearer to when we will know? Yes, that is possible. That's why Jesus goes on and he says, therefore, be on the alert. Well, look, if you can't ever know, if you're, you know, you're going to go on for, you'll never know, well, then he wouldn't say, therefore, be on the alert. Alert for what? I can't know. doesn't matter what it looks like. But he did say, therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But listen, he is coming. And he goes on and says, but be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. So we don't know. Does that mean we shouldn't be on the alert? No, we have to be on alert because he is coming. This is the fact. He is coming. Verse 44, for this reason, you must be ready as well. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. I think too many people today, Christians and churches, well, you know, you can't know the day or the hour. Therefore, it's like, so what? Well, it's not so what. It's never so what. Because number one, if it's going to be like in the day of nowhere, like you don't know when it's going to hit, and then it hits. Well, you, you always have to be ready. You've got to be ready today. It could come to open up to where you go, uh-oh, the Antichrist is on the, on the, on the scene. There's a great falling away. I mean, people are just scattering. Now, they've been scattering from churches are like empty. There's little revivals here and there, but by and far. But I think what he's pointing to when he talks about in 2 Thessalonians, great falling away, I mean, this is really big. When that great falling away happens, it's not going to be long before the Antichrist shows himself. And if it is a while, so then it wasn't that great falling away. But you look at that great falling away, number one. Number two, the Antichrist shows up. Now he's at the door. I mean, you can expect within seven years, you're going to be seeing signs in heaven. So who then is the faithful and sensible slave who is master put in charge of his household slaves to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. That's the millennial kingdom. 
possessions in eternity, I don't know where people get that, and I think people misinterpret and they just kind of combined a millennial reign of Christ, earthly reign of Christ, fulfilling the promises to Israel. They, they misconstrued it. They do away with that. They either mix them or they do away with an earthly kingdom and think of that as eternity, that there's possessions in eternity. Not sure that that's the case. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. During the earthly reign of Christ, he will reign with the elect. He will reign with the saints. The saints do the reigning. Uh, 1,440 years until the flood. Everything was chaos. There was no governments. There was no rulers. There was no laws. Flood wipes everybody out, and then governments begin by the plan of God. Since then, we've had rulers. And those rulers have been ungodly. When Christ reigns, all the godly, all the rulers will be godly. Godly only. There won't be massive religions. There will be one religion. You worship Jesus Christ or you don't worship at all. Why? He's going to rule with a rod of iron. He's going to do things right the way they're meant to be. That means no lies. Now there's going to be people being born again to the saints who go into the millennial kingdom. And they will be born sinners. And so people may lie to themselves, but you might consider that kingdom kind of like what happens when you're in a jury and you purge yourself and there's a penalty for it. Even lying will be not just poo-pooed, there'll be, there'll be a problem. Now, it's going to be a loving way that the saints will rule. They're going, to lo- they're going to rule in love. They'll always be proclaiming the truth. They're not going to just kill people for everything. You know, because we rule with, with love. R- rulers are meant to rule in love. Pe- pe- the rulers will be loved because they'll be the saints. They're not be- going to be cursing and swearing and forcing things on people. But there will be uh, a price when things when rebellion happens and you go out and kill somebody. Uh, there will be the carrying out of the law. So, in this portion, going back to this, when he says, uh, be on the alert, You don't know what time the thief is coming. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household slaves to give him their food at the proper time? Those slaves who receive the kingdom, beginning with, are are the saints. Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. This is prior to the millennial kingdom. There were slaves who will be, you know, all the apostles And all the saints, right up until Revelation 22, are called slaves. We're a slave of righteousness. We're a slave of Jesus Christ, and therefore we do what is right before God. And in that, that is a slavery to Christ. It's a freedom. It's a freedom to do what's right as a slave to Christ. But, he says in verse 48, but if that evil slave says in his heart, what does he say? My master's not coming for a long time. Be weary, if you're a Christian listening to this, to say that. Oh, there's too many things that have to take place. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. Jesus right here says, don't do that, in verse 48. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins, as a result of this, you get tempted, He begins to beat his fellow slaves. 
Yeah, it's just like it doesn't have to be a physical beating. You know, you just get critical, judgmental. You become proud and egotistical, and everything you say is right. And with that whole idea of not being compassionate towards people, that's all this has to be. Although I don't think this is actually talking. I'm talking to the saints right now as I'm talking about this. But he's talking to the lost. But if the lost aren't to do this, look, the saved certainly shouldn't be be saying, oh, it's going to be a long time, he's not coming. And then we start acting like the lost in the church. And there's plenty of that going on. Then the master of that slave, and this is a real slave to sin, will come on a day when he does not expect and in an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him in two and assign, cut him in two, and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's hell. So the person who says this and does this is acting, if not is, uh, an unbeliever. And he's going to be cut in two, and he's going to be assigned a place with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping. And a hypocrite, just like the Pharisees, not part of the remnant, not a true Jew, not a true Israelite, but just a false religionist in the name of the Hebrew God, Jehovah. Today, it's or in the name of Jesus Christ, just a hypocrite Christian who's not really true at all, but he will be assigned his place with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Weeping by those who just couldn't believe they thought they were real. I mean, they, they just, they, they loved God, or so they thought, but they weren't real. Depart from me who do iniquity. And then there's the gnashing of teeth of those who just, in their heart of hearts, they knew they were lost and they didn't care. And they just were out and out hypocrites. They proclaimed to be a Christian, what, to please other people, to be part of the, you know, the group that they were part of, just to say, but they, they knew it and now they're gnashing their teeth out of it because it's real. They're saying they were a Christian or a Jew and they, it wasn't real to them. But it's real now. And there's gnashing of teeth. So that brings us to the last part that I want to look at. And what I, what I want to look at is actually found Matthew chapter 16. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up and putting Jesus to the test, they asked him to show them a sign. This is where I want to make real clear at the end of this message that we're not looking at these things as signs. When you look at wars and rumors of wars and false prophets and abortion and all, these are not signs. They might be indicators of what, that we're getting close. But it's not a sign telling us, yes, the end is near. Because these Pharisees were trying to put Jesus to the test. And they asked for a sign. And this sign there is a miracle that really gives glory to God, the word in the Greek. That kind of a sign. It's a miraculous sign. It's a sign like the sun being blotted out or the moon being blotted out, or it looks like the stars are falling in the heavens. Those are miraculous signs. They wanted a sign to prove that Jesus was who he was. And he replies to them and says, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky? But are 
you unable to discern the signs of the time? Wait a minute. And then he says, an evil and adulterous generation wants a sign, and so a sign will not be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. Wait a minute. He's saying no sign is given. And remember, for three years, he has been miraculously healing blind people, making the lame to walk, the deaf to hear. He's raised the dead, Lazarus before them. I mean, he, he has done miracle upon miracle for three years. And then why is Jesus saying no sign will be given it? It's an adulterous generation that wants a sign. Well, the sign of Jonah is the sign, and that's being raised from the dead. Now, you know what? It didn't matter all of those three years of signs because those weren't signs to them because they didn't want to see those signs. They didn't want to know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. No one did, really, except of a small remnant. All those baptized by John the Baptist, they just went away. You know, Jesus in, in, in John 6 and verse 66, you know, they just went away because he said, look, you got to sacrifice yourself for me. You have to go after me and you have to give everything away. You have to walk after me, follow me, believe me. I'm Lord, you're, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, this, but this, they got the message. And when they got the message, they went their way. They didn't, it wouldn't matter how many signs they got. It wasn't a sign to them. And that's why those signs were not meant to be, they were meant to be a revelation that Jesus is the Christ, but they didn't see that. And they didn't want to see that. What they wanted is they wanted food for the day, and if they were sick, they wanted to be healed, and they wanted an end to slavery to the Romans, they wanted to be free, what they called freedom, from a a surrounding nation, even though they were slaves to sin, they cared nothing about sin. So when men run around today, and they offer miracles and signs, And they say, look, we're raising the dead. It's the same situation. Exactly the same. When the apostles did things, it was an announcement that Israel was done. That was the reason for tongues. All you got to do is read Isaiah. And you understand when tongues of of other languages, of other men, other languages, you know, I will talk to this people. What's this people? You can read this in in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What's the this people? Israel. Israel Israel is being set aside because they were hypocritical. And the church will be set aside because it's hypocritical. But this hypocrisy, this, uh, this notion of a sign, was never meant to be a sign for the saved who are meant to live by faith. People believed in Jesus Christ as in the apostles and the women who followed with them and those in the 120 in the upper room all by faith. It wasn't the signs that they believed. It was the words that came out of Jesus' mouth that spoke repentance and put your faith in me and follow me. And the centurion who just believed even though he didn't come to his house and the Syrophoenician woman who she, he, he healed her son and, but she was broken and she said, just, just send me the crumbs. I'll just eat the crumbs. Why? You know, because I'm just a slave. I'm a worthless person. And he looked at those two people and he said, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. Well, because Israel didn't have faith. They wanted a sign. You don't need faith when you see a sign. That's the evil part of the generation. It's no trust in God. You want to get saved? Listen to this message if you're not. You have to have 
faith in what God has said in his word. And that faith will become a living truth to you. And you won't need a sign anymore. You'll know it's true. And that's the evidence of your salvation. That's number one evidence. As you know it's true. Number two evidence. Your life begins to change. You stop the cursing, the carousing. You stop the drinking and, the, and, and all that, that goes attached to it. The immorality and the pride. It starts to fall away. Not to perfection. But transformation takes place. These aren't signs. This is faith. Men are saved by faith. They'll be faith, saved by faith in the millennial kingdom where they won't be saved at all. They'll, they'll, be, they'll be saved when the angels are speaking from heaven during the tribulation period and they're giving forth the gospel. By the way, when did that ever happen to those who believe no tribulation? Well, I, I don't recall that happening in history. But anyway... In the conclusion of this message, we conclude with this idea that we're not looking for signs. Even though when the tribulation comes, that won't be a sign. That'll be a clear evidence when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the temple, making himself out to be God. And then there are signs in the heavens and the earthquakes and the shaking of the world. When those things take place at the very end, then know he's at the door. And I can't say that this is for only those after the, the tribula after the rapture takes place. And I'll go into that some more next week. But the rapture doesn't take place until the bride is ready to go into the wedding, and the wedding doesn't take place until Revelation chapter 18. And when that wedding takes place, that's the point of the rapture. And people will continue to get saved from that point to the end. So you're, there are people who lose their heads like are going on today. There are people who die today, not having been persecuted unto death and become a martyr. And there, there are people today waiting for the coming. And there will be people who will, only the elect, will go into the millennial kingdom because there's the first resurrection. And those at the first resurrection go into the millennial kingdom. The rest go to hell. There'll be no unsaved people going into the millennial kingdom. There will be saved elect going into the kingdom and there will be those who have been martyred. It, it doesn't change. No, well, God's going to guard you. God's going to guard. Well, we'll take, I'll take this up next time. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the revelation of things yet to come. We can trust your word that these things are so. We can trust your word that they are true. We can trust that your, your word has no error in it. But there is error in us, Lord. There's, there's, it's possible for us to make all kinds of mistakes in the word. I pray that you would save us for doing it willfully. I pray what we do, we do by error, not intentionally. Save us from intentional sins. We're out of pride we just go with it anyway, regardless of the evidence that we have set before us. That's not good. So I pray that you would save us from that. Give us, Lord, a faith and a hope to know that Jesus is coming back. And if we lose our, our head or our life or stabbed or shot for the kingdom's sake, Lord, however we die, it doesn't matter really how we die. We go into being in your presence and in the presence of the Lord and the angels are rejoicing and we're in glory and there's just nothing bad about any of that. Even if for the minutes or, or time of suffering that takes place, it, 
it doesn't matter. Lord, I, I pray all these things for your honor and your glory. Bless the hearers of this message in every way. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Thank you.